Welcome back, Ag Watchers, to another quick, short uh, update on the markets. Uh, Andrew and myself uh, here just um, providing that. Hopefully, we won't take too long, Andrew. Um, big news overnight, though. We might start with uh, overnight and then come to the onshore stuff, if you like. Uh, the was to report, mate. What's going on there? Well, we'll try and keep it to the short one because the last short update we did was 26 minutes long uh, when it, we were planning it being six minutes long. Uh, but I guess if you talk a lot of bullshit, then it starts to... To go on, or if no, your mother if your mother comes on, that that drags it on as well. She likes to talk, doesn't she? Ah, oh, she's a bloody talkative. Oh, Mrs. Doubtfire. So, look, uh, Worcester report. We I've spoken about this to you a lot of times. Of how I hate writing about the Worcester report. It's boring as batshit, and nothing really happens. So you don't have to cover it every single month. You just cover it when it's something exciting happens. And I reckon that was exciting last night. We had some major revisions downward in terms of global wheat production. And I think that's important uh, to mention is that last year, most of that market was wheat market was driven by the corn market, whereas this year is largely driven by what's actually happening in wheat itself. So it's charting its own course, so to speak. But no, we saw like a massive downgrade in global wheat production down 15 and a half million tons and to put it in perspective that's the largest august fall in forecasts since well since 1995 but the closest one to that was back in 2010 coincidentally that was the month that i arrived in australia and it was also the month when russia uh, had a pretty bad time of it so they reduced their crop and then enacted an export ban and so you know we've we've bookended my time arriving in Australia and just now with some pretty big drops in production. And most of that, like, it's not a surprise, largely either, really. You know, most of that 15 million ton fall has come from seven and a half million tons in Canada. Surprises no one because they're having a, a hell of a time. Russia, 12 and a half million tons, probably a bit more of a larger drop than expected, but still... You know, anyone that's read any of the articles that uh, old mate sees office put out will will know that they were getting downgraded. And I, I just think it's 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 fantastic news for us because, you know, in terms of the countries doing well, Ukraine and Australia both had some major upticks. Australia up to 30 million tons, still got plenty more potential for a 31, 32 million ton crop. And so that really puts us on on position for a time when the rest of the world is, you know, calming down in terms of its its stocks and, and its its production when we're producing some good quality and, and good mm. volumes. The um, I mean, it's, it is good news for the Australian farmer given the harvest we're likely to see this year. But what about, there are some, and I, I noted online this morning on, on the, um, both the TEM account and your own account, Andrew, you, you pulled up some stuff about this was the um, revelation overnight, but um, Pip Courtney from um, from a landline made a good point on one of your tweets there just today that um, we've got this big bumper harvest, but you know fewer and fewer um, seasonal workers to help um, get it in the bin. Look, I guess I guess that's probably a conversation for an actual longer term conversation and longer term chat with someone. Mm. But look, I think it's. We're a victim of our own success in, in grains. We've got 
big machinery, require less staff. And when we do require staff, we've been lucky for decades to be able to just get it from the rest of the world. Obviously, COVID interrupts that. Uh, but, but going back to that sort of WASTA, another thing to note is that the production number is down, but more importantly, it's where that production is down. And so now we're seeing the end stocks with the top major exporters. So top major exporters do the lion's share of lifting for global trade. And they are at the lowest level in terms of uh, their stocks since about you know 2007. So that's a pretty long period of time. And if anyone remembers 2007 for grain prices, that was pretty exciting. And, and so we are seeing you know, tipping points just now. We are seeing you know, a period where, where things are going to be very attractive for, for you know, at least until harvest. I think prices are going to be reasonably strong. There's not much in a way that can push it down too much. Bearing in mind, though, looking forward to next year is that, you know, it takes five months to make a crop and it takes, you know, two weeks to break that price down. So high prices hmm. occur for high prices. Where's um where's your best guesstimate for uh, where the prices are going to be come harvest? Do you think you know, a bit of a, a range? If you want to leave yourself some some kind of room, wiggle room, some, some, some wiggle room. I reckon it'll be between a hundred dollars a ton and six hundred dollars a ton. <laughs> no, but 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 in all seriousness, we're talking just now. Seabot wheat for harvest is what three eighty, hmm. and basis is is negative for most of the country. That I think if we just talk about seabot wheat, I think it will probably be in that range of, you know, three fifty Aussie dollar to, to, three ninety, mm. is, is a reasonable range. If it goes higher than that, then, good oh. Mm. Uh, but but going back to like what Courtney said about like, uh, you know, access to labour and sort of flipping back and forth, you know, one of the big issues is, if we look back to those previous years when we have had you know, issues at harvest. Uh, we need to get the crop off as quick as possible to maintain the quality. And that's going to be a real big issue if you don't have the labor. And and my main concern is not so much just the crop quality, it's actually the health and safety and that we're going to have, you know, people who are, you know, doing longer hours harvesting because, well, there's no staff to take on the mantle. Or, or inexperienced staff coming in, you know, without enough time to get them trained adequately, perhaps. Correct. Yeah. So, and sh- sheep. Well, that's so, another labor. That's another labor issue. That's a labor issue. Um, yeah. Um, well, we, yeah. One of the, I mean, prices have been, you know, s- slightly slightly down, I guess. Uh, but you know, not not kind of uh, the big moves we've seen for wheat. So they're probably you know largely not that interesting in a week on week basis. Um, the big thing for the sheep market, I guess, is that we're heading towards the spring flush in Victoria where we see, you know, big increases to the numbers of lambs presented at the sale yard and a lot of those flow through to the abattoir. And um, there has been some anecdotal you know, concerns from the meatworks, again, around that labour issue. You know, when we see those big volumes of lamb come through in the spring, that kind of seasonally you start to see increases to obviously processing as well and a lot of seasonal workers get brought in to undertake. If you remember back, Andrew, to last year um, when we had the Victorian COVID shutdown or the, or the restriction placed on abattoirs in Victoria where they're running at 65% capacity, that happened through kind of June through to August. Uh, it might have even been to September, I think. Um, and there was real concerns last year that 
if they were unable in Victoria particularly to process because Victoria processes about 40% of the nation's lamb, um, that there might be bottlenecks come spring so, so and that would cause price falls at the, at the sale yard, of course, if there's these bottlenecks and delays. Um, it never eventuated last year, thankfully, because Victoria managed to, to clamp down on COVID and get it out of the way so the abattoirs are up and running again by the time the spring flush came through. This year... There's no COVID restrictions on the abattoirs, but a lot of the abattoirs are saying um, that they're just not got confidence in being able to get the labour force. Um, a lot of these workers, are visa workers from offshore, and and you know some some you know obviously the more manual tasks are done by backpackers, but some are done by skilled people brought in from overseas. They're not they're not here, uh, so there's a there seems to be a big gap in that labour force, and and if if um, you know, if abattoirs can't get this um this big sp- spring flush of lamb kind of process quick enough when they come uh we could be we could be looking at a bit of a bottleneck this year which is a bit of a concern well, i guess it's the, the abattoir one i guess we're just going to start seeing more and more i think we'll see anyway more and more of a switch to that sort of you know automated automation mm. you know yeah and, for and, sure because at the end of the day you let's be honest with with, with abattoir workers you've got issues with overseas labor which you're experiencing just now but you've also got you know, the uh, the unions cause a bit of a bit of strife in those, especially in the US. So there will be a move to automation just to get things taking along. Mm, the automation has already started with some of the, <coughs> the preliminary. Yeah, exactly. So um, the preliminary cuts of the carcass are done robotically in a lot of places with the DEXA scanning, but um, that's not going to be rolling out quick enough to solve the problem this year. There's still going to, there still appears to be you know, going to be a shortage. Um, it's a matter of how big the shortage is and how much of a bottleneck it may create. Um, I mean, if you look, you mentioned the, about the US there, if you look to the US, they had a similar type, um, bottleneck in their cattle and hog processing or pig pro- processing, as we should call it here, not hogs. Um, and when that occurred in the US, it was about a month's worth of a, of a kind of reduction in capacity in, in, in meatworks in the US. Uh, it backlogged a lot of cattle, a lot of pigs for slaughter and, and took a while for it to work through. Um, during that time, the sale yard prices fell from about 40 to 50% for those animals um, because of the backlog. So, And I'm not suggesting we're going to see that kind of a fall here uh, in spring, but you know the normal fall was about 15 to 20% is what you see through spring in terms of the STLI. Um, probably won't fall as much as 40 or 50% unless we get some really significant uh, backlogs, which I don't think will happen. But you know, it's not out of the question to maybe see a thirty percent fall, which could take it down, you know, the STLI down to the low six hundreds, or or maybe at a stretch below six hundred if it's if it's you know a bit of a dire scenario for a backlog of animals. But we just have to see how it goes because at the moment it's it's kind of speculation, really. Just wait and see. Wait and see. Mm. Mm. And I mean, the only other thing for livestock, just quickly before we maybe wrap up, is. Um, Cattle on feed numbers came out for the June quarter, and that was uh, a surprising 70% jump in the numbers of cattle on feed. Uh, um, you know, so so that was. I've, I've, I've got an idea for another podcast. Mm-hmm. We need to get somebody on from WA who's in the feedlotting industry mm-hmm. to discuss why there's not was it less than less than five percent of the cattle cattle on feed is in WA, mm-hmm. but more than fifty percent or. Around, in some years, in around, some years, around, yeah. around half the country's grain production. Mm-hmm. I've got some ideas as to why that's the case, but um, yeah, well, look, certainly the the jump we saw. We'll, we'll get Andrew Forrest on. He's built a feedlot. 
Andrew, if you're listening, uh, you know. Chick, Chick Olsen um, spoke about his mate Roger Fletcher, and Roger Fletcher's got an operation there in WA. Maybe we'll get Roger Fletcher on. That yeah. could be a good one. If he's listening, Roger. Oh, he probably is. <laughs> sure but cut, isn't. But, but cut off the numbers are up. Yeah, yeah, and it was mainly, look, the big numbers too for that quarter were big jumps in Queensland, up 31%, and Victoria was the other big one, up 13%. Um, the other states were a bit static. And actually, you mentioned WA, they were down 30%, 32%. So, but, the, you know, the WA numbers are pretty small. Uh, and they do tend to, seasonally, they do tend to come off for the first kind of half of the year through to September. And then the numbers increase again in December in WA. In WA so that's a, that's probably more of a seasonal impact than anything else. Um, but look, good a good sign that there's, you know, given the fact that we've seen um, grain prices going up, and that would include obviously feed prices. Um, we, you know, we know that feeder prices for cattle are up, um, but luckily for the feedlots, heavy steer prices are up as well. So that would suggest that um, their margins are probably still okay if they're putting these extra numbers in there. Uh, and a good good sign for the industry that you know longer term there's still a lot of confidence in it that they're seeing these kind of volumes increasing. So that was probably about it for livestock, mate. We'll probably leave it there then. Probably probably longer than we said, but still. A concise summary of what is happening in the market. Sounds good to me, and um, no sign of Mrs. Mrs. Whitelaw. But anyway, never mind. Maybe next week. She's, she's coming on to do the outro. Is she? Oh, thanks, Matt and Andrew. That was a good update on the markets. When I go down to Mark to sell my cattle on a Sunday, that will be very useful. Hey, if you liked my wee boys podcasts and his wee pal Matt's podcast. You know, give it a wee like on your Twitter, put it on your MySpace, and uh, share it with your pals and your compatriots. Uh, thanks very much, son, for putting that together for us. We're all happy to listen to you. Thanks, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for coming on, Mrs. Whitelaw. See you when you got nothing on.